Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past, present and emerging of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. I love that theme tune. I dance to it every single morning. It's amazing. You are listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, which you probably know if you're listening to the radio right now or 3cr.org.au. The time is seven in the morning. It is the first Tuesday Breakfast of Daylight Savings and I think we're over the jet lag of that single hour on a Sunday, I, I think. It was hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard, wasn't it? It was it confusing. Was really, really yeah. good. I, f- I feel a bit like a bird just sort of thrown out of whack. Yeah. <laughs> In the studio today, we have me, Zoya, we have George and... Morning, George. And we have Ayan. Morning, yes, Ayan. Yes. And soon we'll be having a special guest coming in who's going to be joining us for a little bit. Yes. Bigwa, who is going to be taking charge of the panel, trying to wrest control from Ayan and her adept hands. <laughs> she is. She is. She's, she's just incredible. She's a poet, a writer. Um, she's currently doing 3CR training, but she's almost up. So today she's going to be doing a bit of paneling, a bit of chit-chat. Yes. So we're very excited to have her yeah. on. Always good to have more people yeah. in the studio. Absolutely love it. So how's everyone's morning been? Evening? Anything fun? Anything interesting? Um, last night I watched Love Island Australia. Um, I know I know it's not current affairs, but hear me out. So there was a lot of like racial elements. So as usual, these kind of shows are all about finding love, right? And in Australia, they're known for not having people of colour on these kind of dating shows. Finally, Love Island has... Like I think the first African person or African woman um, on the show who is finding love, but as usual, she was picked last. And not only was she picked last, but she was also very invisible on the show. Like I don't think people were like the guys were sort of overlooking her, and and it was just terrible. And I and it got me thinking about why she was put on that show. So was she put on the show as part of a diversity like ticking a diversity box or um was she put um, in there because they appreciate and care about diversity and obviously i believe in the former because they don't like this, this seemed very tokenistic it didn't seem genuine so if you put a black woman on a show like this right you're supposed to put in men either black white asian um etc who are interested in dating black women. You can't put a black woman and then just go, okay, um, we'll see what the guys decide. When you're picking guys, you've got to pick guys who, you know, you've got to do your homework. You've got to find out what their preferences are, right? So what this does is, whether intentionally or if it's um, an element of laziness on the part of the researchers, 
what they've done is they've put it in a black woman and kind of reinforce the idea that black women are undesirable, right? Mm. And everyone has a right to preference, right? In the real world, there are tons of tons of guys who would find her attractive. She's gorgeous, objectively. But in this situation, right, it's a small house. So what what ends up happening is people who are watching this who who, who might not have a great understanding of, like, race and, and, and all that will think, oh, yeah, this is very normal. Mm-hmm. This is typical. Of course, black women are undesirable or, the like, last picked, right? So that's got me thinking about what responsibility these kind of shows have. And I don't want anyone telling me this is, you know, this is frivolous or not because this isn't. Mm. This affects our mental health, mm. right? This affects the way young black girls watching these shows think about themselves, think about beauty standards and so on. So I watched that last night on my own and I was screaming and yelling. Mm. But I was telling Zoya and George how the only good thing to come out of this was that I was able to tap into African-Australian Twitter. Yes! (laughs) It was the best. That's awesome. And that is the last time we are going to talk about something like Love Island on this show. (laughs) Classic, classic us. The only way we're going to do it is if we have a sort of critical, critical race lens. But that is a conversation that I think could be interesting to have more down the track about Mm. representation of people in the media. Because as you said, Ayan, media is such a vital means, mainstream media is such a vital means by which people begin to understand both themselves and other groups of people around them and young people that's what they consume and if what they're seeing is inaccurate or tokenistic or stereotyped representations of themselves or others that's what they're going to play out in the world and that's something we might have a bit of a more of a discussion about later on in the show in another from another lens Mm. but coming up now we have our usual yes so We have Chris on the line, but they're actually on WhatsApp. Um, so in the hopefully this works. So this is the first time that we're doing this kind of interview because they're in New York at the moment, which is very exciting. So we might try and pop them on and see if we can hear um, them. Hi, Chris, are you there? Yes. Hi, George. How are you doing? Yay. <laughs> we got you. We must have had a bad Hey, it's all going through. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, must have fallen out. It's like so great to hear you guys. How are you all? How are you yeah, doing, Zoya? Ayan? Oh, we're we're doing fantastic now that we can hear you. <laughs> we lost. Yeah, you. yeah, this is great. <laughs> so yeah. while the connection is good, <laughs> I do not believe that for a second. <laughs> yes. While the connection is yeah. good, it may be good to get you to jump straight into the news. Yes. Yeah, I'll run straight in. There's um, surprise, surprise. There are about three different Trump controversies going at once. Uh, the biggest one at the moment is that he's made a very last-second, spur-of-the-moment decision to withdraw U.S. forces from an area in northern Syria, which is actually quite deep. You know, it has been quite stable up until relatively stable up until this point, and and pulling that out is seen as this kind of uh, uh, cow tying to Turkey. Turkey is threatened to pretty much invade this area of, Sir, of, of Syria, uh, Erdogan, President Erdogan, he's a, he's a far-right fascist president. Um, he is, there's a theory that he kind of like, he spoke to Trump over the weekend and it was very much like a one-sided, we want this part of Syria. Trump is in a cursory like, oh, he said something weird on Twitter about in my great and powerful system that if you, 
say that if you know something happens, I don't approve of. I'll wreck Turkey's economy. But there's a there's a real fear right now that Kurdish people in Syria are going to suffer another invasion after you know those forces, even though they, they were there to fight ISIS. ISIS has pretty much been eliminated. But um, there's a fear now that they're going to be invaded by Turkey. Um, Trump has done that simultaneous to he's got an impeachment in, impeachment inquiry underway at the moment. Uh, which, for the backstory, everyone, it, it all comes down to his um, dealings with Iran. There's a theory that, like the, the theory that the Democrats are working with, and a whistleblower has alleged, is that uh, Trump has kind of uh, tried to create a deal with Iran to investigate. You know, if they investigate Joe Biden's son and his in his work within a business in Iran, then Trump will let them. Will will you know, unfreeze, would have unfreezed this aid. And it's a it's conversation that happened months ago, but it's um, if the Democrats can prove that, which they're, they're holding, it's like the third day or something of the impeachment already, and they've got quite a lot um, of material already. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot, lot on the line there, that there's a theory that, like, the Democrats might pass the impeachment resolution, but then it would have to go to the Republicans and in the other House, and they will probably block it. So, but it's it's still... Still early days now. Um, and the other one is that Trump has gotten um, judge order to see his tax returns because um, there's another theory that ahead of the 2016 election, he's of, of some um, that he used some of the money for something like, uh, that has he's basically argued that, you know, presidents can't be investigated and yada yada. And a judge has basically said, no, you're not above the law. Like the argument now is that presidents, he's basically said he's quote unquote like, I'm above the law. I can't, but this doesn't apply to me. I can't have criminal sanctions. So. What what but level what yeah, level judge has said this about the president actually being subjected to the law? Because that's 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 huge for for the interpret the interpretation of the constitution. Yeah, well, the, basically, the the judge said that there's no constitutional protection to a president. Like you're not you you are you are literally subject to the same requirements. Like you you've been subpoenaed for months now, and Trump's there's been a stalling tactic that's like presidents don't have to apply to this, and it's like no, there's nothing in the constitution. That says presidents are protected. So yeah. it's um he's like literally within the day he's had three big giant stories blow up um, and like the impeachment has obviously been happening for a while. But uh, yeah, that's all the correspondent stuff from here in America. Um, there's also global uh, extinction rebellion stuff, which I, I, I believe you know Melbourne. I think 20 people were arrested in, in Sydney. There's been events in Melbourne here in New York. Somebody threw blood on that statue of the bull in Wall Street. Um, that iconic, you know, the, cap- the symbol to capitalist capitalism, the greatness of capitalism. Someone's thrown blood on it. One of the extinction rebellion groups. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a bunch of these protests. I think some climate scientists were arrested in Sydney. Like a four, like a, a girl was arrested. Some 75 year old climate scientists have been arrested. It's quite, um, yeah, it's gotten quite grotesque. Uh, the other big story, I think, at the moment that no one is talking about in Australia is that Papua New Guinea is squirreling away uh, people, detainees, who were subject to medivac to come to Australia. They are imprisoning them on bottom of prison right now. And this morning there's been another one who was supposed to be sent to Australia for medivac purposes, um, but Papua New Guinea has is, is basically put them instead. They sent them from Port Noisby to this prison. 53 men are there right now. Uh, and it's largely seen as a way of uh, both delaying Medivac and putting people in a form of indefinite detention. So there's Australian refugee, you know, Australian asylum seekers, the group that came in, you know, before 2013, been there for six years already, and now they're kind of being stuck in this prison as a, as a kind of another stalling point. Um, 
And I just thought I'd bring that up because another man this morning who was meant to, who was meant to come to Australia for medical attention is now uh, being put in a prison um, where he is very likely to self-harm by the sounds of it. Um, so it's quite, yeah, deeply sad, uh, something I don't think anyone in Australia is really talking about at the moment. But, yeah, the men we've detained on Papua New Guinea things are actually getting worse, not better. Mm, and, no, um, and no surprise that, that we're is... not talking about that in Australia. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't come up a lot because um, the government it's the government are fine with it because it means if Papua New Guinea puts them away, it means the government doesn't have to, you know, apply, subject themselves to the Medivac process, which they don't like anyway. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it is quite horrific and um, something we should really be talking to our government about that this, this has been happening for over six years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and getting much, much worse. Um yeah, and there's obviously a bunch, bunch of other news stories. There's a big Labour uh, inquiry at the moment into why Labour lost the election. Um, there's a, I think Bill Shorten yesterday came out and said he, he didn't connect with uh, working class people as much as he thought. He, he, he didn't, he couldn't judge how attacking franking credits, which are wrought, by the way, they are definitely a, it's a gift to rich people. Um, a, it's a double, in short, it's a way of doubling your tax return for certain shares. Uh, uh, but it's he he didn't see how that like it, it left Labour open to a giant smear campaign by the coalition. They launched their own inquiry into franking credits, which is insane for a government to launch an inquiry, parliamentary inquiry into an opposition policy. But, but it worked in some capacity. At least it, Bill Shorten has taken responsibility for that. And there's a few other theories floating around today. They're going to release the report, I think, soon soon ish. But they're still taking inquiries, and there's quite a few news stories floating around about that. Mm. But um, that's that's the major stuff. Sorry, sorry, it's a lot. That that is a lot, but but um, as always, Chris, you have captured it in your adept and succinct way that makes us all understand uh, exactly what's happening at a global and a local scale. And we really appreciate you taking the time while you're an actual angel. But thank you for taking the time while you're overseas. We yeah. feel so fancy and special. We have oh, we have a New York correspondent. You. It's it's so exciting. Yeah, you totally have a New York correspondent. No, thank you. It is a delight as always to talk to you guys. I um yeah I I miss you all, but I'm also uh, stoked to be able to contribute from over here. And I'm I'm sure it'll be another terrific show the rest of today. Please enjoy it, and thank you for having me. Cheers, Chris. Speak soon. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate, and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counseling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between Queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. Spring into Gardening is back. Hosted by Gardening Australia's Costa Georgiatis, celebrating sustainability and all things green for one day only. Featuring free workshops and demonstrations, hands-on kids' activities and over 35 market stalls to get you in the garden and thinking about sustainable living this October. Spring into gardening. Sunday, October 13 at Victoria Gardens, Paran. See the City of Stonington website for details. A 3CR supporter.
Rumination. Three CRs, rooming house and homeless persons issues program. Featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855am. Good morning. You are listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. The time is 7.19am. In the studio we have me, Zoya, we have George, we have Ayan. We also have Bigwa on the panel, which is really exciting. Give us a hello. Waving won't work. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> which is also very, very exciting. In the studio, we also have one of our interviewees who may be familiar to those of you who listen to Breakfast on other days. There are um, other it's days. It's Friday, yeah. <laughs> oh, who, who listens to Breakfast on other days? Tuesday Breakfast is the only one that's worth listening to. Thank you very much. <laughs> Before we move on to our very first guest, Jacob, we might do a quick rundown of what else we have on the show. Yes. George, who is going to be up? first and then we'll move through. So we'll be talking to Jacob who is an activist with Blockade IMARC, really important issue to be discussing this month. And then we're going to hear some audio from the Radioactive show because they did a segment on the Jabaluka blockade and 20 years on from that. And I think this relates to mm. Blockade IMARC and what we need to learn about previous movements. So we're going to play a bit of that. Then we'll be talking to... Then we'll have a conversation with Geordie Silverstein, who is an academic at Melbourne Uni, about some of the anti-Semitic incidents that have happened in the past week in Melbourne. And finally, we'll be talking with Teddy Darling, who's been on our show before. They have an upcoming event at Hares and Hyenas, which is a queer and trans spoken word night. So we're really excited to be talking with them. And we will be, actually, we should announce this, we'll be having some free giveaways to listeners, so that's something that would be pretty uh, important to stay tuned for if you're wanting to get a free ticket to this Look really at cool us. event. We we yes. talk about reality TV. We give away <laughs> tickets. Are we turning into commercial radio <laughs> oh, here? No, maybe. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So thanks for joining us this morning, Jacob. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. So you're here to talk to us about blockade IMARC, so maybe it'd be good just to start off with for any listeners who haven't been, are not familiar with this particular issue to give oh, us a bit of info. All right, so I guess basically um, some of the world's kind of worst criminal, um, climate cr- criminals, I, I said I almost said criminals instead of climate criminals, <laughs> but they ga- they're going to be gathering in Melbourne from October the 28th um, to the 31st for the International Mining and Resources Conference, and this is the sixth um, kind of conference um, that is going to be happening in Melbourne. Um, and essentially it's like a, gen, generally it's a, co- a conference that is, you know, it's during working days, um, not necessary for the public, although it is open to the public. Um, it is basically an opportunity for kind of all the mining, you know, companies and, you know, climate criminals, etc., to kind of make, you know, to make, uh, to do networking with sort of investors um, who are investing in their particular industries, etc. And so Blockade IMARC has been formed, um, to, um, which is bringing together many activists, um, you know, from the climate movement, um, you know, it's even bringing animal liberation activists, um, it's bringing students and trade unions together to organise a mass blockade of um, 
of this conference. And this conference has actually been blockaded in the past. Um, it was organised by uh, LASNET and Australian Rainforest Action Network right. um, groups. Um, also, well, there's a lot of groups involved, so it's a bit hard yeah. to get all the names. But this conference has been blockaded before. But this year round, we're aiming to make it even bigger. Yeah. Um, and in fact, actually big enough to potentially blockade the entire conference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, following the tradition of um, the Jack... Uh, the Jabaluka. The Jabaluka yes. and the S11 um, kind of protests have happened historically. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's, it is really cool to be thinking about these different historical examples and what that's looked like to learn from that and mm. what, that, what we need to do for this one. And I think you're right, it is going to be huge. So what are some of the key issues? You know, well, why, why protest? Why get involved with this? Well, I guess one of the key issues that is kind of motivating um, the blockade this year is um, the issue of the climate crisis. So this year we've seen um, the rise of the, the big massive school strikes. Um, we're starting to see the rise of groups like Extinction Rebellion, which is bringing you know, a message that you know, we need to um, do massive, massive disobedience because the climate is in such crisis that we have, to, uh, we have no choice but to act. Mm. Um, although climate, although climate um, you know, although, you know, the companies um, that are mainly going to be represented are those of mining. There are quite a number of, you know, um, um, companies that are involved in, you know, greenhouse emission, uh, uh, emissions, etc., which such as BHB, um, Rio Tinto, um, all these, and even companies that are involved uh, are contractors of the Adani coal mine are going to be involved in this conference. And actually, previously, um, Adani was actually a special guest speaker uh, at this conference. So that's one of the issues, I think, yeah. motivated the climate crisis. I guess the second issue is, which has motivated previous processes, is the, is the fact that all these mining companies are in fact are capitalist companies who are completely unaccountable. Uh, they spend a lot of their um, they profit off the exploitation of workers. They profit off the exploitation of disp- dispossessing indigenous people from their land. Um, they also drive um, you know animal extinction. So those are kind of so the yeah. other issues that kind of so the issues of indigenous sovereignty, the issue of workers' rights, yeah. and also the issues of animal extinction, which is something that's bringing together a lot of the kind of vegan activists groups and animal liberation activists on board. Yeah, so obviously pretty pretty big and key issues, definitely. And I wanted to focus on, so you mentioned civil di- disobedience and the event does say that it, it's going to be a non-violent um, protest. And I'm thinking about, you know, Peter Dutton has come out and said that protesters are a scourge um, and, you know, there's a threat of increased penalties and imprisonment and we're seeing this being rolled out uh, across Australia. I'm wondering what civil disobedience, you know, why this is important and why we need to fight for the rights of protesters. Well, I, with um, Blockade IMARC, I mean, ultimately, it's our right, um, you know, um, to, um, to commit, you know, um, to participate in any kind of act of protest. And I guess in the case of um, IMARC, you know, the fact that we're blockading it and causing a massive amount of kind of disruption... The fact is, all these companies um, are, are operate completely unchallenged. You know, they're workers who are they they play a lot of effort in actually, um, you know, breaking up um, unions, being able to have the right to self-organise. Um, they, you know, they already undemocratically dispossess indigenous people from their lands. They have no actual you know, mandate to do a lot of the things. So I think in that sense, we actually have no choice but bring together um, protests. Uh, 
groups together to actually blockade, to actually um, put forward alternative narrative. And the alternative narrative we do want to put up is that of a sustainable world, a world that is actually for climate justice, a world that actually respects the rights of Indigenous people, a world that actually, you know, respects um, workers, and also pointing out as well that... Um, you know, under under capitalism, um, all these resources are generally used for the profit of a minority. I mean, we want to kind of raise also the question that these resources, uh, these mining companies should actually um, be made accountable um, because in the, in the end we can't, I think, you know, um, this is just a personal opinion, not necessarily that of Block at OMAC, but I guess another issue um, that people kind of bring up as an attack on the protest is, all oh, how can you protest against mining um, because your phone requires resources from um, mines hmm. and, and so on? But I think, you know, we're not actually necessarily, by blockading this conference, we're not necessarily point, um, trying to say that we need to abolish mining altogether, but we're actually... The, what, the nature of these businesses and how they practice mining, well, it actually need, they need to be made accountable and, you know, we need to actually have some kind of say and put forward alternative vision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense and I think the kind of discourse around protesting in Australia is it's pretty wild that people, you know, there's these ideas that you, you can't disrupt people's daily, you know, going about their day today. You know, mm. you've got to do protesting in this particular way. It's like, no, that's not what protesting well, is that, about. Well, I mean, that, that, I, I remember when... um. Actually, I was I, I was sitting in the local council meeting in Moreland when actually this got voted on, um, when the vote to support Blockade Market and Extinction Rebellion was sort of put up, and um, one of the councillors tried to vote against it on the basis that, oh, you know, what they're trying to do is to disrupt um, traffic or disruption, mm. or that he was reading out the description of Extinction Rebellion, whatever, and actually the point of the protest the is point. actually yeah. to disrupt. Yeah. It is actually to challenge the status quo. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, the inconvenience of, you know, people being blockaded. Well, what about the inconvenience of the fact that, you know, they are rising ocean levels? What about the inconvenience of the fact that um, Indigenous people are being dispossessed of the land? What yeah. about the inconvenience of the fact that workers are being exploited? What about those kind of inconvenience? I think, you know... The fact that these investors mm. um, and companies are going to be disrupted yeah. uh, for while they meet is, I think, a really small inconvenience yeah. compared to the massive inconvenience they cause to the rest of us. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good way of putting it. And I guess as my last main question, I want to ask you, with the climate strikes, we sort of saw kind of an, uh, I guess, the, the movement ignoring First Nations perspectives and knowledge mm. about addressing climate change. And, and I'm wondering what, you know, Blockade Iremark does uh, on the event page, it does say that we, you know, reference to First Nations people and understanding of, of the, the, these issues, uh, climate issues in relation to First Nations as a priority. But I'm wondering, wondering what IMARC, Blockade IMARC as a movement is going to do to actually make sure that that happens within, yeah, within this movement? Well, cur um, we're currently in the process of um, making links um, with Indigenous communities. Um, at this point, you know, we're making connections with um, West Papuan communities. In fact, we got a really nice message from a West Papuan activist, you know, talking about why they support Black and Mark. We're also making connections with all the other different sort of marginalised groups that are sort of internationally. So international solidarity and solidarity within our own um, er um, country is actually a very central aspect of um, Blockade IMARC. And in fact, you know, pretty much all the activists in Blockade IMARC would agree that, you know, we cannot actually achieve um, 
climate justice or any form of justice without actually prioritising the voices of Indigenous activists. Um, and so that is actually going to be a central aspect. But, of course, it's all obviously in the planning stages. We yeah. haven't even confirmed the speakers that we're okay. going to be having on the different days of the blockade. Yeah. Um, it's, there's so much work actually ha- that has to be done, um, but, we're, but it's all on our minds that that yeah. is the work that does have to be done. Yeah. And so what can people do to get involved? Um, well, we have, a face, um, we have a Facebook page and a website. So if you go on to blockadeimark.com um, or go to the Facebook page blockadeimark2019, um, um, you'll be able to get involved. Um, there's also a Facebook page, which is blockadeimark, that posts um, regular updates. Um, we're looking for people to sign up um, for the days of the blockade. You can also come along to our organising meetings, which are happening weekly, so mm-hmm. happening every Sunday at 2 o'clock. They tend to be at either RMIT or Trades Hall, but if you check the Facebook page, you can get the latest information. Um, but, yeah, you can even sign up to our mailing list if you don't use Facebook or social media um, to get receive regular updates as well. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Jacob. This is obviously such an important thing. This is a moment that we can actually come together and make a pretty big statement that this is not okay and we're standing against these mining companies. Yeah, so yeah, thank definitely. you for your time. Yep. <coughs> From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC. A 3CR supporter. Six years I've been in prison. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. We just had an interview with Jacob, who's an activist involved with Blockade IMARC, and kind of going along this theme, we were wanting to continue the conversation, and an interesting, I guess, thing to add to this is the Jabaluka blockade 
so it's been uh, about 20 or so years since that blockade and radioact- the radioactive show at 3CR did a great episode on it earlier in the year. And I guess talking about, um, you know, what happened but also what it means in terms of today. But I'll let Michaela introduce it because she does a much better I've never job. actually heard of the Jabaluka blockade. Right, so does yeah. this explain it for us Definitely. from the beginning? Yes, Good, Michaela gives a beautiful introduction. <laughs> um, so we'll go straight into that now and maybe can chat about it later. Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show. I'm Michaela and today I'm bringing you some reflections on the 20th anniversary celebrations of the historic Jabaluka blockade that I recorded at a special screening of Pipstar's documentary film Fight for Country at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image in 2018. The film documents the huge mobilisations in 1998 where over 5,000 people travelled to Kakadu in the Northern Territory to stand alongside Mira traditional owners and lend their support to the Jabaluka campaign. Young Mira traditional owners Simon and Jimmy Majundi talk about the future of Jabaru and Kakadu beyond mining, with uranium ore processing due to end at Australia's longest-running uranium mine, Ranger, in 2021. They are speaking alongside some activists who were deeply involved in the Jabaluka campaign. Dave Sweeney, Sarojini Krishna Pillay and Kirsten Blair. We won. We won. You saw that big mineral lease. ERA dug a 1.2, 1.4 kilometre tunnel. Shock created big yellow trucks driving in and out. They removed... Many hundreds of thousands of tonnes of overburden and rock. They removed 50,000 tonnes of mineralised ore, which they stacked under a tarp. And Mira stayed strong. Their friends stayed strong. And Rio Tinto, as was said, took over North Limited. And they had deeper pockets and bigger pitches and they were more than the post office box and they saw which way the wind was blowing. And they entered into a long-term care and maintenance agreement with the Mirar people. We will not develop Jabaluka without your explicit and written consent. And it took a commercial agreement between a mining company and an Aboriginal corporation to do what Australian law was unable to do, which was to provide the Mirar with a right of veto and the ability to control and manage developments on their estate. It's to the great credit of the Mirror that they got that. It's to the great shame of Australia that that is not just an everyday reality. So, we won. All went back down into the hole. 50,000 tonnes of ore went back down in a demining exercise, which I don't think has been done before. Sarojini Krishna Pillai, Simon Majandi, Jimmy Majandi, Kirsten Blair, Dave Sweeney. Um, <laughs> we'll start off with Mira. With, with Mira, we'll start off with you, Simon. And could you tell us? Could you tell us a little bit about your country? It's a long way from here. Can you tell us just a bit about it? Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Simon, and I come from. Yabaru, um, in the heart of Kakadu National Park. Um, 
We are here today to talk about our country and that things have been happening for the last 20 years. Um, so about a country that I want to talk to you about that we are really happy that um, that the, our other mining is about to be closed and we are really happy that Jabaluka is over and but the history for Jabaluka is still going for many years and it's, today it's still going. What's it, what's it like to see that film? To see your old people, your aunties and crew there? Well, how does that feel? It feels great looking at that film and I would like to thank to all the support that here today that has been supporting my aunties and my family for the Jabluka blockade. Hello everyone, my name is Jimmy Devnani and I'm the youngest Lorraine, Trisha Lauda and I just want to thank everyone for supporting the poor back in the 20 years and we all are happy now the mine is over and the new township of Jabru is really strong. So we just have to wait in 2021 and the new Jabru will be really good. So we'll be building everything, we'll be building new hotels, new world heritage for international, even building everything like um, your airport, airport, I meant to say, sorry. <laughs> and yeah, so we're just excited for us, all the young generation to step in forward for aunties and everything, how they've been talking, being everywhere across the world and every around Australia now is after us and after that we will acknowledge and share it with our children and our children children. Simon, um, your old people, aunties and all, they all stood up at that time. It wasn't easy but they all stood up. They're on that film there. How do you feel now as a young mirror about what they did then? It makes me feel so proud that when our family has stand very strong for our country, you to stop that Yabluka mine. And I'm really grateful to have a family like that and all the support from all over the world. And Sarah Jeannie, maybe a little, a little bit with you. Um, you were deep in Jabaluka. Um Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, like a lot of people here, I was deeply involved and, um, you know, we weren't just good dancers and singers, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, A lot of logistics, as you can probably see if you haven't been there, it's a long way from where most of Australia lives. Um, But, you know, Jackie and Yvonne were inspiring and they're sort of brave and impassioned pleas for people to, to get involved were, you know, was was pivotal really in the campaign Um, and you know we did face a very hostile political climate we were looking at the thin end of the wedge if Jabaluka was built you saw on the map all the uranium deposits so we knew that it was 
absolutely, you know, essential that we, we rallied as many people as we could. And given the political climate, we looked at, at so many other things. We looked at pressuring the company. We looked at international support through the European Parliament or... Um, you know, look, looking for um, international um, support through the World Heritage Committee. So we we had a lot of um, people resources at our disposal. We, sh- we certainly didn't have a lot of finances at our disposal, but we had people's passion. And, you know, I'm really proud to be here today with Mira, just as I was extremely proud and, and privileged to be standing on country um, in Kakadu all those years ago. All those years ago, um, people didn't have mobiles in the back pocket. There wasn't social media. Um, massive mobilisation, 5,000 plus people in, uh, you know, not, not easily accessible communication space. What sort of um, observations or stand out of that do you have? Um. Yeah, well, I still don't have social media, but um, <laughs> I, I think I think campaigning today. Is, well. <laughs> I think campaigning today is very different um, in many ways. Although I, I don't know whether people noticed in all those um, rallies and things, no one's walking around holding up a phone. That's the difference today, and I guess there's a, a much more diffuse sense of documenting protest today. But one of the reasons that. Um, Pip and Bill's documentary is so important is that there wasn't actually a lot of cameras around and especially in Kakadu which was very remote the the footage that that they took was absolutely um, unique and and provided a much needed window into what was going on in in that part of the the country and um, you know I, I think I, I really do want to pay tribute to Pip's work today and I'm, I'm very grateful to Helen for um, making sure that we don't just celebrate a, a fantastic win but also honour his um, filmmaking legacy. And it, it is really important and it is hard to imagine today that not everybody has a phone with video capacity on it because we certainly didn't then. Um, we, we were using faxes and other such things. Um, my children will be horrified to hear. But the the role of, of Pip and Bill and other documentary makers at the time was absolutely fundamental. And it's important for us to acknowledge that we we did have a big win and that even when the political climate seems very dismal, um, perhaps as today, that it is possible through, uh, you know, looking at a huge array of, of different campaign approaches to have that success. So, yeah, I do want to pay tribute to Pip today, though, specifically. So, and thanks to Helen. Yeah, well said, Sarah Jenny. Well said, Dan, and well said on the voiceover of that film, too. Great stuff. And it is really important to capture and document this. Um, and the other dimension, just to, stepping aside for one second, the other dimension, at, at those NERF protests, that camera, and having some cameras there, was a moderator. It was a check and balance on some pretty heavy actions sometimes. There weren't a lot of people on our side, and I love that one. Is this how you, check, is this how you treat Channel 10? <laughs> there weren't a lot of people on our side. And when indie media... And when CR, 3CR, and when people who did indie documentation 
um, were there, it was a noticeably safer space, and that was important too. Um, sort of that was then, this is now. Do you were saying about how you're looking forward to what's happening now? I'm, I'm really interested to hear some of that. Can you tell us a little bit? Because Ranger Mine, which was existed through all that time, is now not mining any more uranium, and it will finish mineral processing at the latest by January 2021. So, <laughs> uranium mining, which was going to go to 2070, in sequential mining of Ranger, Jabaluka, Kungara, uranium mining is now finished in Kakadu, and uranium processing will be finished in the next two years. So that's really cool. Where does that, what, what does that mean for Mira? What's your thinking about that clean-up and what happens now? We feel, we feel really happy that the ERA mine is closing because we're getting our land that where the mine is today. We are happy that we're getting it back because so that they could put start putting back all our native plant and so all our animals and for us and the next generation for the future to walk on the country mm-hmm. where the ERA mine is mm-hmm. situated mm-hmm. right now. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarang Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarang country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Doll Association of Victoria presents the 34th Malvern Doll Fair on Saturday, October the 12th. On at the Malvern Town Hall from 10 till 5, there will be antique to modern dolls, original craft works, art and craft supplies, fabrics, fashion, displays and raffles, as well as doll repairs by David Short. Find them on Facebook, the Malvern Doll Fair, Saturday the 12th of October. 3CR supporter. You're listening to Tuesday Brecky on 3CR. So you just heard some audio from the Radioactive show, which is on before us every Tuesday. And that was a show that was done earlier in the year uh, concerning 20 years on since the Jabaluka blockade. And I just wanted to quickly mention one point that was raised, which I think is really powerful, is that, um, that there's still hope even, uh, in despite of the political climate that we're in. You know, they're talking about the Jabaluka blockade as a win and what it means today to be fighting, fighting similar issues and knowing that the politics are in the kind of 
state that they're they're in at the moment. But I think that's kind of a nice sentiment for us to be thinking about and going into the uh, into blockade IMARC and and showing support for that if we think that's an important issue. So uh, changing tune a little bit, on the line we've got Jody Silverstein, who is a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Melbourne. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Jody. Well, thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, just to start off with? Sure. So I'm a postdoctoral researcher, as you said, at Melbourne Uni in history, um, and my work is a little bit on Australian um, refugee policy, histories of Australian refugee policy, but I'm also a historian of Australian Jewishness and Holocaust memory um, and thinking about the place of Jews in Australia. And and a regular guest on Tuesday breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I love coming in. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. So you're here to talk to us about uh, some recent incidences that have happened. And so on October 3rd, the Australian Jewish News reported that two accounts of anti-Semitism in public schools in Melbourne have, have happened. Are you able to tell us a bit of detail on what, what transpired with these events? Sure. So, yeah, it was reported in the Australian Jewish News and then was picked up by the age and then it's been picked up much more broadly. Um, and two incidents that were particularly reported on, one involved a Year 7 boy at Cheltenham Secondary College and the other was a prep student at Hawthorne West. Um, and both boys are, are anonymous, obviously they're kids, and, and so... In one of them, the, the older boy um, at Cheltenham Secondary College, um, he was forced to kiss another student's shoes, um, and you know it was filmed and photographed. And, and the photo of that is quite widely available on the media, and that's something I guess to think about that other people have mentioned is why is this photo of mm. a supposedly humiliating moment being so widely shared. Mm. Um, what does that mean for how we talk about these sorts of things? Um, that was one incident. The other incident, um, yeah, the five-year-old boy, he was at Hawthorne West. According to the mother, uh, her son, he was, I'm quoting from the age here, his son was repeatedly taunted and laughed at over his circumcised penis to the point where he began to wet himself in class rather than go to the toilet. Um, but you know, apparently the kids were calling him "you dirty Jew" and "you Jewish" and "Jewish cockroach" and, and using these kinds of really, I guess, traditional anti-Semitic language um, to refer to these kids. So the kids ended up leaving the schools. The schools apparently dealt with this completely um, ineffectively; just didn't really um, understand what was going on and the, and the depths of what was going on. And one kid is it now in another school, and, and the other kid is. Um, I gather being homeschooled at the mm. moment while their parents try to figure out what goes on. Mm. So that's those particular incidences and, and I gather they're sort of representative of a wider trend um, within schools that, that's happening at the moment. Um, it's being both reported in the media and things, stories that are sort of circulating around the Jewish community. Yeah, it's it's awful to hear and it's additionally awful to see that institutional failure failure. Um, and, you know, seeing that the parents of the children requested that the schools intervene uh, with the parents of the five-year-old requesting the school roll out an education policy on anti-Semitism. And the fact that the school declined to do so and the AJN reports that neither school acknowledged these events as acts of anti-Semitism, why do you think that is? I think people really... Um so I'll say two things. Firstly, people in Australia really don't understand anti-Semitism um, and 
that's something that I think is a problem both at school level and I think it's a problem that I often face um, and, and witness, I guess, in, in the kind of work and activist work that I do. Um, I think there's very little understanding of the complexities of anti-Semitism um, because the tropes around Jews are both the, you know, Jew, of Jewish cockroach but also of Jewish power. Um, and I think the complexity of it, the different ways in which it's um, existed, I'm not saying it's any more complex than any other racism, um, but I don't think... I mean, people generally in this country aren't very good at understanding racism, right, which is the second point, that people don't know how to deal with this because this is still a racist settler colonial society, right? So it's part of a general problem of our society not understanding how to deal with... Um, the different types of racism that exist, I would say. Mm. Yeah, and I think that ties in nicely with the next question, that people, yeah, as you've mentioned, that people are quite surprised that these kinds of violence would take place. And why do you think these children have acted in this way? Or is it just that this has always been happening and we we just haven't been speaking about it? I I think probably both it's always been happening and... Yeah, I think, you know, anti-Semitism is not something that uh, actually ever goes away completely um, in our society and in many societies around the world. Um, so it's probably always been happening and, and I guess the anti... I, I would... I mean, I don't know exactly why these particular incidences um, have come to light at the moment because they did actually happen a while ago. Um, but I guess this is a moment when the Anti-Defamation Commission has chosen to, as the age says, sound an alarm about what's going on. That's um, one thing I think these things have gone on. But also we are living in a moment of heightened anti-Semitism. We're, you know, um, we're seeing it in the US. We see you know, Scott Morrison come home from the US and, and use those kind of anti-Semitic code words of talking about globalism and mm. international bureaucracy, which, you know, that those sorts of things, talking about cosmopolitanism, mm-hmm. yeah, globalism, internationalism, they're um, code words for Jew. And I think people, you know, that's not widely understood that, that, you know, one of the ways in which European anti-Semitism or Western anti-Semitism has functioned is to see Jews as not really belonging anywhere and as part of this kind of globalist, um, nationalist entity that, that wants to take over. So... You know, we see the Prime Minister using these, these racial code words um, and kind of disguising them as a critique of the UN um, and the mm. UN criticising Australia of science figures. But actually, I mean, it's that as well, but it's also we don't want these kind of murky people um, around us who challenge our sovereignty. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, there's reports on the weekend of the, the relationship between the highly anti-Semitic um, government in Hungary and senior figures in Australian politics. Um, you know, Trump and, and the US is increasingly anti-Semitic and using um, Jews and also discussions of anti-Semitism for political gain. And I think that's all really filtering in, into this, into Australia. Um, I, you know, I'm hearing also stories from, from parents of... Um, I mean, this is obviously quite anecdotal, but, but you know, that people, kids are accessing 
anti-Semitic stuff on the internet in a way that wasn't possible in the past because the internet didn't have the kind of reach that it had. Um, we see that even when we, you know, I've taught Holocaust and genocide studies at uni, um, and anyone who's taught that recently will tell you that students will quote from, you know, far-right websites because we don't give teach them the literacy to understand what those websites are and that they're not actual proper information. Um, so I think we need, you know, we need greater literacy around what is on the internet and how to navigate that um, and around all these, you know, racial code words and how they operate. Mm. And I think that, that that's an interesting point that you highlight about those code words and how subtle that can be, you know, coming from our political leaders is something that we definitely need to to be educated about so we can we can filter through those discourses. Yeah, I think so. And so James Molino, Minister for Education, has ordered a review into these schools. In your opinion, do you think that this is a potential failing of the two schools or is this a more systemic issue at play? Uh, yeah, I would say both, again. But I think, obviously, the teachers there were ill-equipped um, and I shouldn't make it so banal. Like, I don't know, that it was just that they were ill-equipped. Maybe they just didn't see the problem with it. Um, I, you know, I can't speak to those specific teachers. So, but I would say it's a failing of both the individual teachers of the school, that school system, but also of the system broadly. Um, you know, I think it's good that the state government wants to do something about this. I hope that they don't, you know, there's talk of like increased Holocaust education. I don't particularly see that as being helpful. I don't think people need to be sort of, the, the Holocaust in a way is, is the too abstract version of this and it's historical um, and I think people need to be aware of how the Holocaust happened and what the lead up to it um, meant but I don't think that Holocaust education um, you know is, is in itself the answer mm. and I think you know that was also Josh Frydenberg suggesting that and, and you know I think he, he works in, as part of a federal government that is, thrives on racism um, you know, maybe we need to be tackling it. We can't tackle this problem as just a school problem. Yeah. I think it needs. We need a whole of society approach. Yeah, I think. And can you elaborate on that a little bit? You know, so you've mentioned that you think education around the Holocaust isn't really the answer. What other suggestions do you think we need to be thinking about in terms of moving forward in light of these instances? Yeah, I mean, I guess. You know, I should say I'm, I'm not a school teacher, and, and um, I, I can't speak to exactly, you know, what would work in a classroom. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the way I always think about these things is we, we everything's into all these forms of racism interlinked, and you know, people, the kids, firstly need to have a full understanding of settler colonialism in Australia to understand the particular history that exists here and, and understand why our country is built on a racialized and genocidal system. And I think that kind of gives the tool to then understand why different groups, um, you know, and I'm, it's not that it's a cycle and there'll always be somebody, but, but how these sort of languages and these discourses get displaced onto other groups. Um, and get played at it in other ways to then understand, you know, the broader history and, and see Australia as part of 
you know, a world. I think we, you know, we can't see Australia in isolation. That's really important. Um, I think it's also about, you know, how do people interact and, and understanding the power of words and understanding what does it mean to hurt another person and say something hurtful to them and how do we take those sorts of feelings seriously? Um, how do we interrelate to each other on a human level? Um, I think is also part of it. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I guess, as you said, it, there's no real band-aid solution. This is we need to be looking at the bigger picture and 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 all of the different factors that play into why this is going on. So it definitely seems like a, compl- a complex issue. But thank you so much for joining us this morning and giving us this context to understand what's going on here. We really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for talking about this. It's really important. Thank you. Thanks, Jody. Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA. But those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions. And look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117. A 3CR supporter. Did you see me? What you fucking talk about, Willis? Cause I know the north side is looking out for me. I wanted to cry, but there's nothing that made me. Going in circles, I thought I was really finished. Just so how will I stop fucking with it? Peace, earth, you don't say. Can you tell what model they use? Explain the soil change. Don't breeze that the heart be made. You fly to hold your name in the same city. I remember when you packed bags in Sainsbury's. To love and on me, cause I got your best. Find me to your home, it seems like I got your stress. Wouldn't say no, but I caused your push it down right on me. Settle for more, yeah. Either way, you complain. I still work the nine a day. Understand your awful shame. I was once the same damn way. But you're fake, damned and lazy. I've been missing mine for taking all your safety. Put your loving on me, cause I got your best. Find me to your home, it seems like I got your stress. Wouldn't say no, way I caused you. Push it down around me, settle for more, yeah. The north side is looking out for me Wanted to cry but there's nothing that made me Going in circles I thought I was really finished Got so hot will I stop fucking with it Cause you know the nice day 
state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. 3CR broadcasters present over 100 radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to one of the community radio, please subscribe now. Just come on to 3CR community radio, Araja Al Ishtrakal and Ningal Ungalin Samuhavanoli, 3CR Kurt Kondir Kandirkal, Vindri Nayingal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsuketsek Radio I Gayaranin, Horatanguda Melbumi Hai Kaotin, Hima Artsanakrovetsek Iper 3CR Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to.
You're listening to 3CR, um, Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au. The time is 8.10, and we have a... Oh, previously before that, uh, we had Georgie Silverstein speaking about the um, prevalence of anti-Semitism in Australia and contextualising it a little bit for us. After that, we had a song, which unfortunately I don't know the name of, but I'm sure George can fill us in after this interview. Because at this interview right now, we have Teddy, an artist and um spoken word performer who is speaking about a very exciting event and spooky event that's coming up this Friday. Good morning, Teddy. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for coming on once again. I feel like um, you might almost becoming a, be becoming a regular on 3CR. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have events almost on a monthly basis and I'm always happy to chat about them. We're always happy to have a chat. So, Teddy, what is this event that's coming up on Friday? Yes. Ooh, spooky. It's a spoken word musical performance and a night of expression. Um, it's called Spooken Word, and it's at Hairs and Hyenas at 7 o'clock this Friday. And it is a very, very queer event. Um, it's got a huge representation of trans and non-binary feature artists. But... It also has a lot of time reserved for an open mic. So if anyone would like to come along and share a spooky story or a poem or even just express themselves along the theme of monsters and horror on stage, they would be perfectly welcome. That's really, that, that would be really, really fun. And on that note, not just anyone who might want to perform at a spoken word, we also, this is a first time on Tuesday Breakfast. And this is, this show, right, this, 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 uh, this morning we seem to be doing our commercial radio feel because we are doing a ticket giveaway for spoken word. So anybody out there listening who wants to come along, get a bit scared, have a bit of fun, um, great fun queer night, Call in to 94198377. That's 94198377. Or text 0488809855. 0488809855. If you call on that number or text on the mobile number, you might be in with a chance to win a ticket to the show on Friday. So while people are getting their phones gathered together to do that, Teddy, why don't you tell us about, um, firstly, how did you come up with the idea for this event? Yeah, so I've been running queer spoken word and performance nights for uh, about a year now. And my partner, Caleb, started performing at them and really discovered a passion for performing spoken word as well. And that was something that really inspired me to keep going. And then at the last event that they performed at, they had this idea to do like a Halloween poem and they were like, if I do this, it wouldn't be spoken word, it would be spooken word. And I just heard that name and I was like, I want to run an event that is that. I want to run a themed Halloween monstrous horror performance night where people can get weird, get um, dressed up, um, explore all these themes of, of, of embracing monsters and embracing horror and using that to explore their own experiences of otherness and marginalization as well as just reclaim a bit of power over being weird and 
revel in being a bit strange. I love that. So just take going from a pun, you've turned it into this wonderful celebration of queer culture. But I suppose <laughs> yes, if you think exactly. about it, Halloween is just such a queer time of the year. I mean, I remember as a kid, the reason why I loved Halloween was I could dress up as Dracula, which meant that I could wear, you know, a bow tie and a shirt and a cape. Exactly. It's, it's, it's the absolute queerest thing in the world. I was always some kind of mask character from history in a really dramatic way running around. <laughs> uh, yeah, Halloween is so queer. How did I not think about that? This is so perfect. It's such a great opportunity to, yeah, explore gender as a kid, um, dress as whoever, whatever you want, any time period in history. You can be anyone, you can be anything. And it's for one day of the year, you're actually encouraged to do that. Oh, so I just I just love this. It's hilarious, um, but also fantastic. Like you said, celebrating weirdness and and celebrating you know being yourself. So some of these artists who are performing, can you tell me uh, much about them? Yes, absolutely. So there are four or five feature artists, and they're all performing completely different interpretations on the theme, different types of spoken word. So I'm going to be performing a, a new song that was written by my collaborator, Nicholas Gray. It's called Monsters Under Your Bed. And it's like a really fun, jazzy, uh, embrace of weirdness and uh, lure to everyone to come down and join us under the bed uh, <laughs> as monsters and embrace being monsters. Um, and we also have uh, a performance of a uh, brand new spoken word by Dr. Muhammad Taha, who's presenting something witchy and uh, kind of exciting and spooky. Uh, we also have a comedy, uh, scary story presentation by Artemis Munoz. So there's just like, there's a whole range of different things. Um, my collaborator, Nicholas Gray, is going to be performing a cover of a song from Twin Peaks. Um, if anyone is a fan of Twin Peaks, from the new season, the song Shadow by Chromatics. Um, so and using so many queer crossovers here. Darkness. Oh, Twin so Peaks, many. Halloween. So I think if anyone is listening and getting really excited about these performers, at the idea of dressing up, having fun, again, those numbers for a ticket giveaway, 94198377. It's 94198377. 8377 or 0488809855. That's our text number, 0488809855. So get in touch. If those numbers aren't working for you, you can try um, messaging us on our Instagram account if you follow us on Instagram. I know we have all of our followers out there who just love our content. So um, that's Tuesday, that's 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Give it a go. Trying to win win a ticket. I, this is this is very exciting for me giving away tickets. I just I, I I feel like I'm on what are those commercial shows? No, Nova. That's 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 a that's a radio show, right? Nova. I don't listen to yeah. non-commercial radio. I'm afraid. Me neither. radio is too good. So Teddy, why would you listen to anything else? <laughs> exactly. So Teddy, um, so people can call in to get a ticket to us at 3CR, but if they want to perform at the open mic, how can they mm -hmm. reserve a slot? Are there any spaces? Well, if they come along at 7 o'clock, we'll be doing sign-ups until 7.30 for the open mic. But they can also reach out to me directly by messaging my Facebook page, Teddy Darling, or emailing me, C 
theodore.stuart.murray at gmail.com. Pretty much, yeah, any way of yeah finding me online. My Instagram is at nancyboysinatra, which is my drag name and what I'll be performing as on the night. They so can message me on Instagram. Yeah, get in touch by, you know, bat, pigeon, whatever. <laughs> Fantastic. Owl. Owl, exactly. <laughs> so <Find> just, me. <laughs> just two more things. Uh, yeah. You mentioned costumes. Is there a theme? Well, it's, it's spooky. It's Halloween. It's dress as the monster you want to see in the world. <laughs> I saw on your and there will be prizes for costumes as well if Ooh. people feel like getting dressed up. But no obligation. Oh, I love a costume prize. That's fantastic. And finally, just a few details about the location. So it's at Hares and Hyenas. Um, is it a an alcohol or alcohol-free event? Is it accessible? Right. Good. Very, very important question. So Hares and Hyenas is 63 Johnson Street, Fitzroy. It's a fully mobility-accessible venue uh, with gender-accessible toilets as well. And there is a bar, and the bar will be operating and selling alcohol on the night, so there might be alcohol present, but the bar also sells lots of soft drinks and non-alcoholic drinks. Fantastic. And once again, the price of those tickets are $10, uh, full price or waged, and $5 concession or unwaged. Again, call in 94198377 or 0488809855 to win some tickets. You still have time towards the end of the show, and I'm sure for a while after the show as well, we'll be able to pick up or if you message us on Instagram following the show. Teddy, thank you so much. I really want to come to this now. It's I I love nothing more than a dress up, honestly. It's such uh. a Oh, it's it's honestly I, I'm I'm going to become a drag king solely just so I yes. can dress up. Oh my god! Yeah. Yes, yeah. You heard you've heard it here first. I will be. A, I've, I've announced <laughs> it publicly <laughs> now. It's going to happen. I say this. I've been saying this for a year now to all my friends, and now I've, I've got to do it. <laughs> Maybe Friday can be can be the launch, the spooky Ooh. version. <laughs> yeah. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Teddy, thank you so much, and good luck on Friday. Thank you so much, and see you there. <laughs> Bye. Bye. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts, and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian-made, and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey, and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Six years I've been Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make and sure I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The bigger the reason, the bigger the calling. 
make your commitment and watch things like And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming. Um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like, it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external. So let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. The time is 8.23 in the morning, just turning (laughs) 8.23. And just before we had an interview with Teddy Darling, who is hosting a spoken word night this Friday at Hares and Hyenas, a really Mm. fun queer spoken word night. Before that, we had an interview with... Geordie Silverstein, an academic at Melbourne Uni, talking about the rise of anti-Semitism. And previous to that, we had a song, which I could not remember the name of before, but I've looked it up. It was Amma Lou with Northside. Right now, (laughs) it was a great song, wasn't it, Ayan? Yeah, no, it was incredible. Of course, George's eclectic music. You know what? Let's give it up to George for always bringing us the freshest diverse like list of music so we do appreciate that george yeah george makes me feel young and cool because otherwise <laughs> i would just be listening to donny hathaway basically that's that Who? do you know donny hathaway mm, exactly oh i love donny hathaway 1970s sort of soul singer amazing love him so right now we have a bit of alternative news George is writing um, on the text line, Donny is the best. So George is still on the text line if you want to call in for a ticket giveaway. And what's that number? <laughs> and the number is 0488-809-855 to text in for a ticket to the Spoken Word Night at Hairs and Hyenas. Or you can call in 84198377 and talk to the famous George herself. That's, you know, you yeah. get a ticket and a chat with George. Mm. Just sorry, double... Um Checking, so the number is actually nine four one nine. Did I say eight? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Oh, A lot of eights in there, so it's nine four one nine eight three double seven. I feel like I'm living in a different state or something. Saying <laughs> eight, what's wrong with me? So right now, yes. just before the end of the show, a little rundown on some more alternative news. Yeah. Last week, Western Australia rolled out the Custody Notification Service, a potentially life-saving service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people placed in police custody. As you know, here on 3CR and on Tuesday Breakfast, we talk a lot about um, deaths in custody of Aboriginal people. It's a, it's a serious, serious issue that needs to be addressed. Mm. So the custody notification service basically works like an alert system. When an Indigenous person is placed in police custody, the police are mandatorily mandatorily required to call the custody notification service. This is a 24-7 hotline staffed by lawyers from the Aboriginal Legal Service of Western Australia and provides legal advice and a welfare check to Indigenous people placed in custody. It went on a trial basis in July, but was rolled out statewide in WA, and um, legislation to create a Victorian version followed soon after. Um, And this is one of the recommendations from the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths and was a key recommendation from the coronial inquest into the death 
of Miss Do. Mm. So, I mean, it's a long time coming, 1991. Yeah. It's... You know, what, what, what is that? 20, 28 years, and it's taken how many deaths since then? I think over 400 right. for this to come into play. But it seems to be a really important move, I think. What do you think, Ayan? Yeah, no, it's an excellent move. And it's also one of the key recommendations from um, the coronial inquest into the death of Mr. So it's really important because the lawyers are not only providing legal advice, as you mentioned, but they're also providing culturally appropriate support. And that is what people need. And before, I think in Western Australia, when it was on a trial basis, it was more an optional thing mm. where now it's an actual requi- requirement of police to notify the CNS. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's. It's an excellent move towards, um, I guess, protecting First Nation communities. Mm. But there's definitely a longer list of recommendations that hopefully can follow soon after. And, yeah, we'll definitely let you know when that happens. Absolutely. And it... It, of all, obviously, like, as you said, that's one. It's one thing that that, that has come out of rec- that come out of the inquest that needs to happen. But ultimately, we need to not be having so many people in custody or people in custody mm. at all, and the overrepresentation of Aboriginal people in custody. The fact that we need this is in and of itself a problem, and in many ways, this mm. is a band-aid solution to yeah. something that is a much broader systemic issue around the treatment of Aboriginal people yeah. by the criminal the the criminal system Um, i'm not going to use the word justice in this context so that's something really important to think about also one thing to highlight south australia queensland and tasmania haven't signed up to this that's three different states that haven't but new south wales has had a similar operation for the past 19 years Mm. That's, uh, there'll probably be more on that in terms of how it's interacting with the Victorian system as time goes on. But we're coming up to the end of the show. We'll probably close off with a song, but we'll do a quick wrap up of what we had on the show. We had Jacob from iMark coming in, who's also a Friday Breakfast presenter, talking about the blockade that is coming up. So you can find them on Facebook if you want to take part in that blockade. We had some, um, Content about the Jabaluka blockade, the Jabaluka blockade that occurred 20 years ago. We then heard from Geordie Silverstein about anti-Semitism in Victorian schools and in Australia and the world more broadly. And an interview with Teddy Darling giving away tickets to their event at Hairs and Hyenas. So please do get in touch if mm-hmm. you'd like to get a free ticket. They'll still be, the lines will still be open after the show, 0488 809 855 or 9419 8377. Mm-hmm. And Ayan, what song are we going to close the song, the show off with before we go to Accent of Women? Yes, so we're going to play a song by a local artist called Pookie. Um, you can find Pookie on SoundCloud under the real underscore Pookie, P-O-O-K-I-E, and the song is YZ. You up in here causing drama. Seems like you may learn mm-hmm. a single thing from mm-hmm. your mama. That her and that that got but up on you was your karma. Can be leaving stress around his best stress with me. Why your fist always knuckled up in a bun? Ain't got a real reason, you just do this for fun. Leading them like you do, but you the son of a nun. Leave that mess there, yeah, you... How you gonna act like you still an embryo? Your vibes stay giving us that mean where to go. That's why I'm sitting here rhyming up a radio. So we can bump you on the damn. Man, every time attention decreases, I see your will to be rowdy just increases. Say 